You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Forefront, you ready to talk? Let's do it. Let's learn together. Here we go. I'm going to start with this passage that I cannot stand. I don't like it one bit. And it goes like this. Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. I'll tell you a couple of reasons I don't like it. Number one, let's not gender God, okay? Um, I'm using the NIV version here, but, but uh, it's as your heavenly God is perfect. We're not gonna preach on that. We're gonna preach on the perfection part. I cannot stand the idea of perfection. I know you cannot stand the idea of perfection. In fact, we know, we know consciously that there's no such thing as perfection. We know that it's okay to be imperfect, And yet the struggle is real. What do we do with the idea that Jesus himself is saying, be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect? What does he mean by this? Do we need to attain perfection? And it was interesting. I was talking to my girls. My girls are now in middle school. And, uh, you know, I try to use them less in messages because they care about these things now. And so one of them said to me the other day, they said, hey, dad, what are you going to preach on? I said, I think I'm going to preach on this idea about perfection. And they said, Dad, you absolutely have to tell everybody what we talked about. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what me and my daughters talked about. Um, And what you need to know is that Juby and I, my wife and I, were looking for this, uh, like more of a progressive kind of like devotional for kids um, that are like tweens, almost teenagers, that kind of thing. And we found this one. I think it's good. I hope it's good. And we read it to our kids the first night. And basically, this is what it said, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it said this. It says, we aren't pretty enough, popular enough, talented enough. We let our social media accounts, our Snapchats, our YouTube influencers decide whether or not we're worthy. We take all the mashed up pictures and good bits of life we see in others and wrongly believe that this is what life should look like. Perfect. We tell ourselves that if we're perfect in this way, then we'll finally be successful. We'll finally be good enough. We'll finally fit in. We stay, bu- stay busy and try to do all of it because we're striving for constant perfection. And then we said to our kids, hey, do you believe this? Is, is this true in your life? And our kids said, yes, it's so true, dad. It's so true, mom. And then, then they said, you know, we, we are so afraid to say the wrong thing because we're afraid we're going to be canceled. And we're so afraid to share our feelings because we're afraid people are going to make fun of us. And we don't like our bodies and there are other people who don't like their bodies. And, and it becomes really, really hard to do anything. Everything we say, every, everything we post, everything we do, we're afraid that we have to do it just right or else we're going to lose out in some way. And then my wife and I, we said to the kids, you know, kids, even though we believe that imperfection's okay, we still do the same exact thing you do. Maybe not the same ways, but we care about our presentation and we're scared to death to share too much for fear of being canceled. And, and, and we know that we're not good enough. And so we struggle with the idea of not being good enough. And, and this is something that happens to us as well. And so we sat there and we all kind of took it in. All of us struggle with this idea that we're imperfect, even though we know perfection doesn't exist. That's probably true for all of you out there as well. I would imagine that there's no one who feels okay about being imperfect. And we need a scapegoat. We need someone to blame. I'm going to give them to you. We can blame the ancient Greeks. Okay, let's blame them because what happened in ancient Greek times is there was this idea that perfection was always bodily perfection. That was a big idea, right? 
And so that's why we have these Greek statues that have absolutely chiseled human beings. It's why we have the Olympics. They said, hey, let's let's take the most perfect people and get them to compete against one another. And that idea of perfection that started in ancient Greek times obviously has, has found its way into capitalism. It's the reason that the best-selling books ever, millions upon millions upon millions of copies, are most of the time self-help books, books that help us to maintain some sense of perfection. It's why uh, 17.3 billion people in this world have gotten plastic surgery. We're looking to be perfect. And way back when, about 2,000 years ago, what ended up happening is this Greek notion of perfection enmeshed itself into our Christianity. So now we believe in our Christianity that we have to be perfect. And I know what you're saying. You're sitting there and you're going, no, 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 you have this all wrong, Jonathan. We don't have to be perfect because through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have grace, which means we don't have to be perfect. And I hear you. I agree with that. But there's a popular American theology, and we talk about this a lot, that says you were once perfect, and then Adam and Eve ate from the tree of, of knowledge, and now we're imperfect. And what happened when we became imperfect is God didn't want to be with us anymore. God could no longer stand the sight of us. God banished us. God asked us to go away. And at our core, we were told that because we're not perfect, we are not loved. That's the bottom line. Now, it's wonderful that the grace of Jesus Christ is a saving grace. But when you start from the fact that imperfection is not loved by God, that's going to create in us a complex. If we're starting from a place that's saying we are not loved because we are not perfect, then that stays with us regardless of the kind of grace we're shown, right? This is the way humanity operates. And so what do we do? Even though we have the grace of Jesus Christ, we still run and hustle and do everything we can to try to maintain perfection. That is what we do. And so usually the way we maintain perfection or try to be perfect is to deny ourselves. And so we run around, you know, denying. We deny ourselves relationships. We deny ourselves pleasure. We deny ourselves sex. We deny ourselves friends. We deny ourselves so much in the name of maintaining perfection. Because ultimately, the saving grace of Jesus Christ isn't enough. We're starting from a baseline that said our imperfection made God separate from us. That'll do a number on us every single time. And so what is going on then when Jesus Christ says, be perfect as God is perfect? Now listen, there are so many great resources on imperfection. Okay, so many. In fact, two that I'll, I'll, I'll just lay out right now. Um, Brene Brown, Gifts of Imperfection. It's a good one. It's a must read. It's very popular. Um, please read that. Okay. The second book that I can tell you about is uh, from a friend of mine, Dr. Monique Morris. It's called Push Out. And basically what she is writing about is the fact that black girls especially have to maintain perfection because they're punished at an inordinate rate compared to others, right? And so it's a book about perfection amongst people of color. Both are incredibly important reads. We're dropping the links in your uh, comment section right now. Get those books when you have time. But today, today I'm going to focus solely, I'm going to focus solely on the biblical exegesis, the biblical interpretation of perfection as it pertains to this passage, okay? All right, great. So let's do a little studying. We're going to do a little Bible study. Y'all ready for a little Bible study? Yeah? Good. Let's make it happen. 
What is Jesus getting at here? Well, as always, don't just read a verse. Like, read the whole passage, because the passage always provides context. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to chapter 5, and I'm going to go all the way back to verse 17. What does verse 17 say? It says this, Do not think, I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. That's what it says. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Well, on one hand, Jesus is going to reinterpret Scripture in ways that are a bit unpopular. Okay? People are going to call him heretical for doing this. So when people call you heretical for interpreting scriptures in different ways, remind them that Jesus did it first and to shut their pie holes. Okay? Seriously, you can do that. I, 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 that's an okay thing. Uh, and so Jesus is, 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 is t- going to reinterpret a little bit. But let's look a little closer. Because then Jesus says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, the Pharisees, the teachers of the the law, Jesus was one of them too, okay? Let's not create straw men here. This is not something where we're saying teachers of the law bad, Pharisees bad, Jesus good. No, there's a lot to learn. So let's learn from the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And what are the teachers of the law and Pharisees doing? Well, They're following 613 laws. It's impossible to follow 613 laws. And so for them, they are imperfect, right? They're not living up to perfection. And for them, they had to be perfect in order to be seen in God's good graces, right? Similar to what we go through. We, you know, when when God can't stand imperfection, like we sort of have that same complex. We got to be seen as perfect. And so the Pharisees and the teacher of the law are really bending over backwards to make sure they follow these laws. That's what they're doing. Now, because they can't be followed, what the Pharisees and teachers of the law are doing is they're teaching people how to find little loopholes, how to find little technicalities that allow them to follow the law, but still live life the way they need to, right? That's what's going on here. And so one example I'll give of that, it's a modern day example, uh, is, there, is a, there was a superintendent at a building we lived at, and he followed these laws. And he followed the law of keeping the Sabbath, which means no work on certain days. He was also our superintendent, and so on the Sabbath day, our sink broke. So I gave him a call, and I said, hey, our sink broke. And he said, hey, can you come down and get me because it's my Sabbath, which means I can't work, which means I can't press the button on the elevator to go up to your floor. So I got in the elevator, and I went down and I got him. He came up. He didn't bring his tools. Had he brought his tools, that would have not, that would have been breaking the law. He would have been working on the Sabbath. So he didn't bring his tools. And he just looked at our sink and he said, okay, these are the parts that I'm going to need to order. Now, he didn't order the t- those parts on that day. He waited for one more day because if he had ordered the parts, he would have been breaking the Sabbath. And then when he left our place, he said, hey, will you come back and push the button to my floor again so that I don't have to work? Right? So... Our superintendent, who believes in keeping the Sabbath, was working, but not working, right? Was keeping the law, but keeping the law in such a way where they could still do their job, where they could still make sure that, that their tenants were, were, were treated well, right? This is kind of a, a good thing. And it's an example I'm using as to what the Pharisees were teaching. They were saying it's impossible to do all this, so find the little technicalities, Find the little loopholes. And so when Jesus is saying, for unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying this with full-on sarcasm. He's basically like, oh, look at these guys. Super righteous. They're finding all those loopholes. 
finding all the technicalities, be just like them, right? Because they're the ones that are going to go to heaven with those loopholes and technicalities. He's being sarcastic there. And what Jesus starts to do is Jesus starts to say, it's, it's not about following the law and not following the law. It's not about being perfect and being imperfect. There's a third way to do life. And the third way is to look at the spirit behind laws. What's the spirit behind it look like? And so Jesus says, if your spirit is simply following a law because you believe it's going to help you attain perfection, you miss the point completely, right? And so we do the same thing as Christians in this world today. We do the exact same thing. It's why Christians in this world today can absolutely call themselves Christian and vote the right way and believe in the, this is the only way to read scripture and, and believe that they should exclude these people and believe that this is the only way you can believe, otherwise you are a heretic. And they, they can do all that, right? Because they believe they're following the law. And they can do all that while looking at kids in cages because they can see kids in cages and go, well, that's okay. Because at least I'm following the law over here. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you're missing the point. That's not the spirit of the law. It's the same reason why someone can, uh, someone who calls themselves a Christian can be completely anti-abortion. No, that's a human life. It's a human life. You must protect human life. And literally the day that child is born, turn around and vote against their well-being because the anti-abortion stance is a law. See, I'm following the law. I don't have to be compassionate. I just have to follow this law. And once again, I hear Jesus telling us now, no, you're missing the point. It's not about following the law. It's the spirit of the law. If the spirit of the law is making a person less than, if the spirit of the law is hindering someone, if the spirit of the law is harmful, then don't follow it because it's not what God wants. And then God speaks to those of us like me people who are a bit more progressive. He says, no, 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 you're not getting off the hook either. You're not getting off the hook. Because you see in Jesus's time, those progressive folks, what they wanted is they wanted to end oppression. That's really good, right? Amazing. But they wanted to end oppression with violence. Not so good, okay? But violence was the way of the law in those days. And so even two of Jesus's disciples, James and John, would be considered like far far left extremists people who wanted to end oppression but wanted to like kill people to do it right and so jesus is saying no 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 y'all y'all have a nice heart y'all don't want to see kids in cages and you want to see people taken care of after they're born but you want to still do it through the channels of the law you don't want to do it with the spirit of the law and then jesus gives us examples of what it looks like to live out the spirit of the law rather than the law itself Jesus gives us um, examples and ways of, of, of third way living. And one of them I talked about a few weeks ago. He says, hey, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Now, if you remember me giving this message, then you'll remember that turning the other cheek was actually an act of defiance, right? It, 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 put, it put the oppressor in a position where the oppressor now had to see you as an equal human being. If you remember me talking about this, it's really fascinating. And I'll drop another link to an article about this. Right? And so Jesus is saying, that's the third way. It's not about breaking the law or following the law. It's about taking the spirit of the law, which wants everyone to be seen as equal, and it's about making that happen. So now when you turn the other cheek, notice you're not breaking the law, you're not following the law, but you're bringing another person into equality. And then Jesus goes on. Jesus says, hey, um, when someone asks for your cloak, give them your undergarments as well. 
Now, back in those days, Roman oppression was so terrible that people were heavily in debt to the Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire would take your outer garment, your jacket, basically, and they would take your jacket as a way to pay back some debt, which obviously left people cold, right? And what Jesus says, he says, give them your undergarments as well. Basically, Jesus is saying, when they take your coat, strip naked. You know why? Because when you're standing there naked in the court, and your oppressor's holding your coat and your underwear and your pants and your shirt or whatever else, like that oppressor's gonna look really stupid. Like you might feel some shame, but that oppressor is going to feel great shame because they have literally stripped you down to nothing. That's the third way. It's not about following the law. It's not about breaking the law. It's about finding courageous ways to live out the spirit of the law, which always brings people to equality. And then Jesus gives one more, and this one might be my favorite one, because Jesus goes, hey, when a soldier comes and says, carry, carry your pack for a mile, carry their pack for two miles. Now, this is great, because soldiers were oppressive, and they were militant, and they were terrible, and they often would beat people. And they would say, you need to carry my heavy pack for a mile. But in the Roman Empire, it was against military code for someone to carry your pack more than one mile. So you literally would have soldiers go, carry my pack for a mile, and once a mile happens, these people will go, I'm gonna carry it for two. And you literally have soldiers going, no, no, please don't carry it for two, I'm gonna get in trouble. Please, I'm pleading with you, don't do that, you see? It's not following the law, it's not breaking the law, it's a third way, which always gets people to see you with humanity and exposes the law for what it is. It exposes the law as being oppressive, as hurting others, as saying there are people who are not equal, as saying there are people who, who are subhuman, right? It exposes the law. And so what Jesus is saying this whole time is he's going, it's not about the law, expose the law. Because the spirit, what God wants more than anything else is for everyone to absolutely understand and know that they are holy children of God on equal footing, each one of you on equal footing. And this is what um, uh, it says, right? It, it, it says this, and I got to find it for you. Give me one second. Yeah, it says that God's desire is blessing for all, love for all, favor for all, right? That's what God wants. And then Jesus ends it and he says, so be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Like be perfect. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, so now stop breaking the law, not breaking the law. Start looking at the third way. What's the spirit behind it mean? Pastor Mary James says this, and I think she sums it up well. She says, in these teachings, we are presented with the sort of perfection God asks of us, the way of nonviolent resistance to evil. God does not want anyone to be abused or harmed. Jesus is teaching out of a tradition that asserts that every person is made in the image of God. And, he, and, and Jesus taught that most important of all, the laws of that tradition are these. Ready? This is what it means to love God with our whole selves, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This is Jesus's tradition, and by extension, ours. And it teaches us that we are a beloved glimmer in God's eye even before our bodies ever take form. Such a tender God wants things to be all right for all people, no matter who and no matter how broken, for it is toward the wholeness, dignity, and peace of every single person that God makes God's rules. You get that? It's not about following the law. It's not about breaking the law. It's about wholeness and dignity and peace for every single person. Laws are made so that this happens. Wholeness, dignity, and peace for each person. 
And so when Jesus says, be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect, that's a terrible translation. Let's translate it better. My guess is, is that it should be translated something like this. And this is the message version. It says, live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way that God lives towards you. I like that, right? It's a little bit different than, than perfection. And so back to our children, because our children, uh, you know, we're talking about perfection. And we said, you know, the first thing you need to know, kids, and this book says the same thing. The first thing you need to know is that you are enough that you are enough. God thinks that you are enough. Doesn't matter if you follow laws, doesn't matter if you break laws, you are enough. But if you're going to follow the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law that says all people should be wholly loved and unharmed and brought into restoration, then we ask you to be courageously compassionate. If you want to follow the spirit of the law, be courageously compassionate. In God's kingdom, God's perfection is the simple practice of being courageous and compassionate. That is it. You know, so we said to our kids, hey, do you think that you can be courageously compassionate? Which means when you see your friends feeling sad, do you think that you can say to those friends, hey, I'm not going to make fun of you for feeling sad. Do you want to talk about this? Or when your friend messes up and makes a mistake, can you say to your friend, don't worry, I'm not going to cancel you. I have your back. I still love you because everybody makes mistakes and God wants nothing but restoration for you, right? We started talking about it in kid terms, but these aren't just kid terms, are they? They're adult terms. Can we be courageously compassionate if that's what it looks like? It's not about breaking the law. It's not about following the law. It's about being courageously compassionate, living out the spirit of the law. How do we live out the spirit of the law? Well, let's look at Jesus. Jesus comes into the world imperfect, not rich, a refugee, most likely someone who struggled a lot in their growing up, someone who was absolutely killed by the state, and someone who was killed, or someone who was considered a minority worthy of being killed by the state. That's who Jesus is, and yet Jesus is courageously compassionate, showing compassionate to even his enemies. Ooh, I hate that. Can we be courageously compassionate towards our enemies? Now, being courageously compassionate towards our enemies does not mean that we're giving them a free pass. We are not. It means there's still consequence. But it means if we're going to be courageously compassionate, that's what it looks like in God's kingdom. It means that we're working for restoration. It means that we're believing the best, right? Some of the things we talked about last week. What else does it mean to be courageously compassionate? Well, it means that we're vulnerable. Let's be vulnerable because you see vulnerability, it lifts others up into equality. That's what it does. When I am vulnerable and I tell you about my mental health issues and I tell you that I'm depressed, that I'm anxious, that I'm struggling, right? All of a sudden, you feel like you're not alone. You're like, oh my gosh, I have these same things going on in my life. And now it's not one person greater than the other. It's, hey, we're sharing in this together. We love each other in this together. That's what it means to be courageously compassionate. Being courageously compassionate means that when the time comes to break the law, you break the law because you recognize that the spirit is more important, which means every time we go out and protest or every time there's a strike or every time there's union busting or whatever the case may be, any of that stuff that goes on, whenever uh, Sarah New and Desiree Frias and others go and protest at Hut's Point for a larger uh, wage, right? When those things happen, that's, that's being courageously compassionate. That's saying we're gonna break the law because we understand that the spirit of the law is better, that God wants nothing more and to see those we're advocating for made whole and made new and to know that they're fully loved, right? 
That's what it means. Being courageously compassionate means sometimes we break the law, right? That's it's kind of an exciting thing, kind of a, a fun thing. Being courageously compassionate means that we're constantly accomplices and allies to our siblings who are in a position where the law constantly hurts them. It means that we call out that broken law and we continue to rise up against that broken law because Jesus tells us that if we want to live life like the Heavenly Father does, then that spirit of that law doesn't work. There has to be a new spirit and that new spirit raises people into equity and out of oppression. Practicing courage. You ready for this one? Being courageously compassionate means that you are compassionate to yourself. This is miserable. You know, I've been saying this to everybody all week. I feel like, like as Americans, we are collectively in the backseat of a car and all of us are shouting, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because COVID is never ending. Be compassionate. Right? It's not about being strong in this situation. It's not about the hustle. It's not about learning that new skill and getting everything done. It's about taking care of yourself, knowing that God wants nothing more than to see you taken care of. That's what it means to be courageously compassionate. And so when we read, be perfect, like your heavenly God is perfect, that is good news. Because what does perfection look like in God's kingdom? It doesn't look like adhering to a law. It doesn't look like finding a bunch of little loopholes so that we can make sure we follow all the laws. It doesn't mean excluding others because the law says to exclude others. It doesn't mean any of that. It means to live out the spirit of the law and to be generous and courageously compassionate like your heavenly God is generous and courageously compassionate. And above all, and above all, maybe all we need to hear today, maybe all we need to hear today are the words from my children's tween study Bible that says this, you don't have to be perfect to earn God's love. You just have to be you. And to that, I say amen. We're going to go into a time of prayer right now. And in this time of prayer, uh, you know, maybe you're struggling with this idea of perfection and imperfection. Maybe you need someone to pray for you. Well, drop that in the comment section. Maybe you have people who are your enemies and Jesus is saying, love your enemies and you're finding it really difficult to do that. I get it, I get it. Drop it in the comment section. Let's pray for that. Maybe you're just hurting. Drop it in the comment section. Let's pray. And as we get ready to pray and as we drop our prayers and our requests and our thanksgiving, let's remember that we have a God who says the only law, the most important law, the law above all other laws is to love your Lord God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, like the Lord God loves you, to love your neighbor as yourself. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.